Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of Saw Something Scary. Jeff Wright, Derek Zoo here with you, and oh boy, we uh, we made it, man. We made it. We got to uh, we got to see us over the weekend. I got a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. I'm sure you do too, Jeff Wright. What's going on, man? How are you? Oh, I'm just chomping at the bit to talk about this movie, my friend. Well, I'm going to propose this, Jeff. I'm going to propose uh, we go, not necessarily go back to the way things used to be, but I say we skip Horror Reporter, we skip Jeff H. Trailers, and we just go straight in. Let's just pull the string on this bad boy. I'm good with that. I am going to talk about news, but it doesn't have to be in its own segment, and all of it is connected to us, so... I'm, I'm good to go with that, man. And actually, you know, since this is our second Jordan Peele review, uh, I'm, I'm happy for nostalgia's sake to go back to the uh, old blow-by-blow blow format. But yeah. also, I'm glad it's been a day or two because now I can gush about this movie without falling into a stream of consciousness, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, – uh, well, you saw it on Thursday, right? Yeah. Okay, so I've seen it twice now. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah, uh, I went back and watched it yesterday, and uh, so, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. All right, man. Well, I mean, I guess that would be the news I'd want to bring up. Thankfully, America has responded to this thing because I think the last thing I read said it made $78 million this opening weekend. Yeah. Uh, That's like Marvel money for an opening weekend. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for real. I mean, that's a low key. Like that's that's probably what uh, what do you think? Like Thor made probably. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, like the DC superhero movies. I think Aquaman. Like I think it brought in like sixty eight million. So uh, I'm just, you know, it's just nice to see the real world work out in a way that you think it should every now and then. Yeah, uh, that movie should make all the money in the world, and I'm just delighted for Peel that and and. Uh, everybody else involved, but I'm just, I guess I'm stammering a bit here. I'm, I'm just so excited that like the money's coming in as a recognition that this is a great movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. So I, I, the last I read, it was $70.2 million that it okay. made over the, over the weekend. Um, it may have changed since the time that I read that, but it was saying that, or no, I'm sorry. Maybe it was like, no, maybe you're right. Maybe it was 78 million. Um, There's only two things that had gotten bigger. Um, It came out with like 120 something million dollars. And then Halloween uh, just barely overshadowed it. But as far as like a first run non-franchised movie, it was the biggest horror opening of all time. That's wonderful. And and I get that like Halloween has a, has a major fan base that, that was looking for this movie based on decades of, uh, enjoying that franchise, it as the same thing with Stephen King fans and uh, you know a pre-existing miniseries that people already loved. Uh, this this is Jordan really grabbing mainstream America by the ears and saying, uh, "Do I have your full attention?" And I think he does. And I think hopefully this is going to translate to some more acknowledgement, not just for him, uh, not just for Lapita, but for horror movies. As uh, as we get around the next year's award season, which I think is, I think it's important to see the uh, the bloom in horror movies that we're living through come to uh, a real maturity. Can you tell yeah. them over the moon about this? I can. Uh, here's the thing, man. If Lupita Nyong'o does not receive an Oscar nomination for this movie, I will uh, I will I will uh, pick it 
I was going to say I'll bomb something, but I don't want that on on uh, record. Uh, <laughs> I don't need that stereotype against me. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, dude. Like, we're going to have to send some strongly worded letters. We're going to have to get some people involved. I know a lot of you guys were upset about Tony Collette not being nominated for an Oscar, and while I agree with that, I'm more. I would be more upset if Lapita Nyong'o does not receive one than I would be if Tony Collette doesn't. One hundred percent, she deserves. All the praise in the world. I mean, that's a phrase I've used for lesser performances. I don't know how to really ramp that up. But, I mean, we're early in the year, but it's just hard to imagine uh, an actress delivering more in a film this year than Lapita did in Us. Yeah. I completely agree, man. Uh, okay, so where do you want to start with this, man? I've got some theories I want to throw out. Uh, I've already, I've already talked to a couple. I've already slid in the DMs of a couple of our listeners and and thrown out uh, a crazy theory that I had no idea was already on the internet. So I was a little bit upset that it wasn't like a Derek's original. Um, but you tell me, man. You 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 lead the course, and I'm just going to pepper it in when when I feel necessary. Well, I think the funnest part of this discussion will be peeling the layers back on the movie, um, talking about theories and questions. Yes. So can, can we just start with the, the performance of the cast? Not not to get it out of the way, but just because uh, it's kind of crucial to talking about the movie, and then we can start playing with the plot and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've already kind of begun that process, so I think we're both on the same page that the discussion starts with Lapita's performance, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. She is, uh, by far and away, I mean, this is her movie. She's the anchor. You know, we use that that phrase, that terminology a lot uh, on this podcast. She's the anchor of this movie, and just, it's amazing to me that this is her first starring vehicle, Mm -hmm. and... If people don't see now, like, hey, Lupita Nyong'o can open movies for you, then I don't know what will. 100%. I I guess he first came on my radar around uh, 12 Years a Slave. And uh, everybody, I think, watches that film and says, oh, oh, she's really good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but playing, you know, the two leads of this movie kind of demonstrates that <sighs> – well, let me say it this way. I can't imagine a role that would be too challenging for her. Right. She she seems like she's able to do whatever she wants to do uh, and and deliver the highest possible quality. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, can, I completely agree with that. So, I mean, I guess it goes without saying, but just to note, uh, I, I really did believe she was – uh, two very similar and yet distinct characters. It, it's hard enough to play two different characters, right? Mm-hmm. But she she went above and beyond pulling that off and making their tethered relationship seem very credible uh, in the in the way she brought uh, commonality and distinction to the role, right? So some of the mannerisms, some of the movements, all the same. Facial expressions similar, uh, but keeping it different enough that I, I believe both versions of her, and I, I think that's got to that's got to speak to a, just like a next level ability as an actress to embody really complex characters who have the deepest of relationships to one another. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, man? I want to go ahead and just put on record that I thought 
this movie did a, an amazing job with um, I don't know what the I don't know if, if if it was with effects or with like you know doing it with doubles or or however it did, but no time. I mean, there were several times during the movie where I would stop and go, you know what? This same actor is playing these two characters at the exact same time, and it doesn't look like hokey on my TV, you know, or on my movie screen. For sure. Uh, you know, and there's there's several times in the movie, uh, the little girl, I don't know her name, uh, the actress's played, name. That played Zora? Yeah. Yes, her name escapes me right now, but I'll find it while you talk about her. Um, her name is Shahadi Wright-Joseph. Yep. Uh, when she's doing that scene where uh, Zora and uh, Umbre run yeah. with each other and, you know, and, and Umbre catches up to her and actually laps her and comes back through and they're like, they're on opposite sides of the car. Dude, I completely forgot that it was two different, that it was the same person. I was just like, this is a really well acted scene. And then I went, holy crap, she's acting against herself. Like that's, that's amazing. And it's so, it's so much talent for such a young actress. And the same thing with, uh, with Evan Alex who plays uh, Jason, that scene, you know, where they're in the, we're in the closet together. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. Like you would think that, I don't know, man. I mean, obviously Peel is amazing and he has a phenomenal editor or maybe he edited himself. I don't know, but uh, you would just think that there would be something that would give it away, and there's not at all in any of it. To to the credit of Shahadi, I think her countenance, out of out of all the tethered characters we saw, it's her facial expression that was the the most chilling and creepy out of all the tethered. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was such a charming young woman, uh, just playing the 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 Zora character. Uh, I I per, you know. I'm no prophet or the son of a prophet, but how can you not expect super great things for her? She's young Nala in the upcoming Lion King, and I'm assuming she'll crush that. And we're looking at the birth of, like, the next great child actress, I guess. Yeah, and you know what the the great part about this is now is, again, with people like Jordan Peele and the success of movies like The Black Panther and Captain Marvel and things like that, we're uh, crazy rich Asians and things. We're, we're able to see people of color take roles that 10 years ago they weren't able to take. Sure. And so when you have someone as talented as this young actress is, that's awesome for someone like her, because now, you know, she I mean, you know, it's it's obviously it's up to her what she wants to do with her life. But if she continues in the entertainment field, the sky's the limit for her now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's awesome. Well, and she's hitched to the Jordan Peele world. Right. So we've seen on a smaller scale the way Flanagan continues to work with the same actresses um, and actors. It's not uncommon for other uh, you know, directors to have their muses and whatnot. You think about some we've mentioned on here before. Um, I I imagine I would enjoy, in the financial sense, being attached to Jordan Peele's work. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, okay, well, Winston Duke, I guess, is the other one. I, I think you and I both were chomping for at the bit for more Winston Duke after his killer performances. Uh <sighs> Well, why did it just escape me? I know the I know the character, like the comic book alter ego. Say it one more time. Mbaku? Uh Mbaku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I tell you what I didn't expect from Winston on this one? Him to be the comedic foil? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Goofy dad jokes and uh, I don't know. He's such a physically intimidating guy 
that I just assumed he would he would maintain that. But he actually managed again in credit to his acting. I felt him to be a guy who was made vulnerable by these attackers mm-hmm. and kind of scrambling to figure things out. I mean, he handled his business. Don't get me wrong, but he was clearly put on his heels uh, early on in their encounters and had to rally back. And I don't know. It, it, it's maybe the most surprising thing in this movie to me, uh, the way that they, they characterized his character. As as much as everyone is talking about Lupita Nyong'o, and, and they should, uh, personally, my favorite performance of the entire movie was Winston Duke because it went so far against the grain of what we're used to seeing him as. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just in the fact that like he encompasses almost everything, right? Like he's the funny dad. He does the dab at the beginning of the movie, which cracked me up. <laughs> like both times I saw it, you know, and, and it's not anything that they like zoom in on the camera. Like it's just in the background. He's like, Hey, Hey, Hey dab. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that's really, that's just a really funny. And, and the way he did it was such a dad way to do that and stuff too. Um, he has, you know, he obviously he has the majority of the comedic lines in the movie, but his arc is really great, too, because he goes from like bumbling Homer Simpson. I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses type guy to protector of the family to, you know, I've seen some stuff. <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then on the flip side of it, the Abraham character, while obviously it's not as um you know, Abraham's the first one to go out of the tethered, so we don't see him a lot. But we see that dark, menacing, hulky person that we came to know right, to Duke as Baku from, you know, uh, Infinity Wars and Black Panther. So really, I mean, I mean, all these main four characters get to encompass and, and even the side characters, the the other family as well. They get to they really get to encompass everything, you know, all the emotions for me. Winston Dukes was the most like the biggest dichotomy, I think. Mm. Uh, that's a great point about us getting to see him play the, you know, the tank character in this one. I hadn't considered that. You talked earlier about Lapita proving that she can open uh, open movies now. I really hope that holds true for Winston Duke. I know he's in a movie coming up with um, our own Mark Wahlberg. Uh, that's supposed to come out this year, and he's playing, you know, like the second lead. I, uh, I think this is a guy I would, I'd be comfortable banking a box office opening on, at this point. I'm obviously not the head of a studio, but surely they can see, uh, they can see what he brings to the table. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you know, the guy obviously. He's, you know, he is that like number two kind of guy. But I think just assume, man, he could have his own movie franchise and they do really well. Or you could see him in a hulky movie with a rock, you know, like he could be the rock's main enemy in the new whatever that crap he's doing with Jason Statham is Hobbs and Shaw or Calvin and Hobbs or whatever they're doing with that. Oh, don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> Actually, I would pay good money to see a Jason Statham, Dwayne Johnson, Calvin and Hobbs. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that being an interesting thing. Look, but, as, uh, you know, we're yeah. talking about spinning Winston off. It's unfortunate that the character he played in Black Panther is named Man Ape. But if they're ready to do a Man Ape um, standalone movie, I'm ready to pay my money to watch it. Oh yeah, man, for sure. I'd love to. I'd love to get a little origin story on that tribe. The, the uh, oh man, I forgot the name of their tribe, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, man. So we we go through um, 
the the principles and the acting. I, I feel like we kind of passed over Jason. I don't want to. I don't want to disparage or or ignore him. Uh, his performance was excellent too, both as Jason and Pluto. Uh, and I think that you know, really, the final scene, which contributes to your you know your, the lasting significance of this movie in your mind, uh, it, it kind of lays on his shoulders and he delivers. Uh, but I also do think that. In the constellation of these four characters, uh, he's the one who who gets eclipsed a little bit. No fault of his own. It's just kind of the way, you know. The it's the way the economy of the movie broke down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, he he does do a phenomenal job in this movie, and he really is. Um, he's actually one of the things I want to talk about the most um, in the movie. In my crazy theory that I have, but. Uh, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Just the way that the the movie was uh, was tethered, uh, you, you, we don't get to see as much of him. But he does maximize his minutes in the movie. Does a phenomenal mm-hmm. job, one hundred percent. And I guess he was in that Jim Carrey uh, series that we talked about wanting to see from Amazon called Kidding, but I, I just didn't get around to watching it. So uh, soon and very soon, I'm gonna have to track that thing down to get a little bit more of. Uh, Evan Alex uh, get some of his work in my life. Yeah, for sure, man. I need to. I need to put that on. Did you say HBO? Was it, that was what it was on? I think it was or Amazon Showtime. Prime. It, it, oh, okay. But it could have been one of those, and I've just got it confused. So, uh, I guess the next arena for me, like the general heading, and it's because it starts so early in the movie, are the Easter eggs that Jordan Peele dropped in uh, for horror fans. Uh, to watch in his movie. Are you cool talking about that next up? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I think everybody kind of caught that as we first move into the TV at the opening of the movie where we're seeing the um, advertisement for Hands Across America, uh, there's some VHS tape stacked to the left of the uh, left of the TV. One of those is Chud, which I have actually not mm-hmm. seen. Have you, have you seen Chud? Man, yeah, but it was a long time ago, like probably the late 80s when I watched it. Okay. Okay. Well, I need to track it down. Um, uh, I wish Jordan had noted it so we could have handled it in our road to, to this movie. But I, you know, what can you do? He gave us some great films to watch. Um, so it stands for cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, which mm-hmm. sounds uh, pretty apropos. Did uh, I don't want to run through all these all by myself though? Did you did you take note of the films that were in there? Yeah. So the man with two brains. Yeah, I thought I think that's the the low key coolest one he picked. Yeah, and the Goonies. Those were the the three that I I saw, or the three that stood out the most to me. Yeah, the only other one that I I saw was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, yeah, I didn't see that. So, again, Bill's great at at crafting the story on every level, and uh, he set us up pretty well just with that scene. And I I, I didn't pick up on this. I went to see the movie with my wife and – Christy, uh, oh, excuse me, with Jody uh, Webster, who's a friend of the podcast, and uh, he noted the Santa Monica connection. Yeah, that they were shooting uh, Lost Boys. Right. So yeah. I guess it's 86. They're on the pier with all the amusement park stuff, and, and somebody mentions. It's Santa Cruz, not Santa Monica. Sorry, Santa Cruz. Somebody mentions like they're shooting a new movie or something like that, kind of yeah. passing dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, the mom, Adelaide's mom, says, hey, they're shooting a movie on the boardwalk. Maybe we should go be extras, or maybe you should go be an extra or something. Something like that is is pushed around. So, yeah, that's two out of the three Corey Feldman references. Okay, what's the other one? The Thriller t-shirt. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, he wasn't directly involved in that, but, you know, obviously he has a longstanding relationship with Michael Jackson and stuff. And so and, and speaking of which, man, think about this in a movie <laughs> in a movie that that talks about the duality of man. What a better prime example right now in pop culture than Michael Jackson. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Great point, man. One hundred percent. Like it was just, it was just crazy to me when when they hold up the Thriller T-shirt. I was just like, "Oh, that's a weird flex." <laughs> and then I thought, "Huh? Well, you know, I mean, this movie came out. I mean, this movie was was you know wrapped what like October, November of last year. God knows, no one knew what was coming out with it. You know, the Leaving Neverland documentary. So it's just you know, not only is it a crazy coincidence and stuff like that happens, but it's just one of those like. Man, he he knocked it. He hit the nail on the head. Yeah, you definitely have the uh, the master and the monster there. Although I think with with Jackson, uh, I think there's a debate whether or not there's actually any evil characters in this movie. We can talk about that in a moment. Um, but I don't think that debate's possible with Michael Jackson at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I've got a couple others that I want to throw at you that I don't know if they are actually things Peel built in or if it's just me going over the top and thinking he built them in. OK. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry, Jeff. Before we before we dive into that, there's one more acting performance I wanted to uh, talk about real quick. Uh-huh. And uh, it is um, if I can go back. Well, come on, man. <laughs> sorry, I'm on IMDb looking up everything right now on my phone. So. Uh, Madison Curry, who plays uh, young Adelaide and young Red, I thought that little girl knocked it out of the park. Pretty good facial expressions for her as well. Oh my goodness, man! Like when she's dragging Adelaide down the corridor, and yeah. she's got that wicked smile on her face. She's another one that I was like, oh man, the sky's the limit for this girl. And I hope so. Like I hope that we're seeing Madison Curry. You know, when you and I are seventy years old. And doing saw something senile. I hope that we can reference this movie and be like, "You remember when we said that Madison Curry girl was going to be something special?" And you'll be like, "Huh?" But it'll be good. <laughs> Those days may be here sooner than we are willing to acknowledge. <laughs> um, yeah, man. And again, she does so much without ever really saying anything. You know, yeah. it, it's I mean, like pure only- acting. She's only got like what, like two lines in the whole movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where she's like, I want that one and I don't need to go. And that's it. Yeah. Pretty incredible. But yeah. again, con- considering uh, how great Peel is at his at his craft, I'm, you know, I really shouldn't be surprised. There's no weak links. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm I'm not surprised there's no weak links. I'm, I am shocked at how he consistently finds people who knock it out of the park. It, yeah. You know, there's not even doubles, really. It's just Homer after Homer. We, we didn't even talk about Elizabeth Moss and uh, whoever it was who played her husband. I mean, they are the perfect embodiment of scuzzy, you know, middle class people. And uh, they're almost like you almost forget about them because they're again, they're they're up against these bright supernovas. Yeah. Uh, Tim Heidecker is the guy who plays Josh in the movie. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and yeah, and they do a great job too. And uh, and the the girls that play the twins, uh, yeah. Callie and, and Noel Sheldon, 
you know, and what a great, what a great throw to the shining. We can, we can tie all this back into the Easter eggs and things like that. What a great tie into the shining uh, that those two little girls were. Also, did you see that Jordan did some of the press tour dressed like Jack Nicholson from the shining? Oh no, I didn't. How yeah, cool is that? I, yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to put that up on the Facebook group. I'll try to track that tweet down that shows a side by side comparison of the two of them. All right. Well, that that is a, a transition back to what I'm going to throw at you. But before we do, I, I just want to note that I think maybe other than uh, other than Lapita's shadow speech, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss is putting on the lipstick in the mirror mm-hmm. is perhaps the creepiest singular you know, scene, you know, just one actor or actress uh, in the movie. It's a, it's a, it's a strong number two, although Lapita's number one is, you know, in a, in a whole different constellation, basically. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but also when she turns and hears uh, zombie Josh or tether Josh being killed by uh, Gabe and she goes from sadness and sorrow to just pure jubilation and joy that freaked me out too. Yeah, man, that was so stinking good. So stinking good. Um, Okay, so back to my going to pepper you with some illusions that I thought were there. You nailed one of them. So when we come up the stairs, uh, uh, we're we're walking with Zora and Jason, who are looking to um, find their mom and save her. We see the bodies of the, the two twin girls dead on the floor. And I was wondering if you thought that was an allusion to the Shining's massacre scene of the twins. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did. I um, yeah, <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. I'll force jump it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Having seen, I probably wouldn't have thought that had I not seen The Shining so recently. But it, it something about their body postures even made me think of the flashback to the the scene where those girls had been massacred. Hey, let me ask you this real quick. Did you go through this movie trying to figure out places where the ten movies were? I didn't. But when I got home that night. Um, my wife tends to to fall asleep really quickly when the lights go off, mm-hmm. and it takes me a little bit longer. And so the way I kind of set myself off into slumber was thinking through those parallels and those connections. And so I spent quite a bit of time after. What, what I really try to do in watching the movie is to go in and just let the movie take me where it wanted to go and do all the analysis after. You know. Okay. So uh, I, I will I'll come back to that question for you because I'd sure. like to hear that. Um, I know you hate this movie, but did the ending of Us make you think this is the movie you hated? The Invitation. Yeah, it made you think yeah. of The Invitation, too? 100%, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was there, and I thought, well, I wonder if that's going to make Derek's skin crawl or whatnot. But No, by that point, I wanted to stand up and clap. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was like, ah, who cares? <laughs> So, so us's positive impact is not enough to make you reconsider the invitation. You just no, gonna, yeah, okay. No, Fair I just I enjoy the I enjoy the tie-ins or the references, but no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go back and watch that movie again. All right. Well, then, so this may be a little bit of too much of my own personal interests, but when the tethered version of Elizabeth Moss's character. Uh, you know, she dies by being thrown off the the balcony in the house and landing on a coffee table. No, that uh, was actually one of the twins. It was one of the twins. What, the yeah. twins ended up on the coffee table. Yeah, one. Yeah, the twin ended up on the coffee table because uh, homegirl smacks her in the face with a golf club, and she goes butt over tea kettle and falls through the the table. 
Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm totally um, going to... Jason thumps Elizabeth Moss's character on the back of the head with that major award. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. You're see, I, this is why I need to go see this movie again really soon. Um, yeah, you should. Um, so when the when the when the twin who ends up on the coffee table uh, when we realize she's not dead and Lapita has to go finish her off, uh, her getting up off the coffee table and being gone struck me as an allusion to Michael Myers getting up off the ground and being gone. We come back to find him after he's shot uh, and falls off the balcony between Halloween and Halloween two. Is that a stretch, or do you think there might be some connection there? Huh. Uh, I mean, I I personally didn't think that, but. Now that you've mentioned it, I can see where you're. I can see what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it may be too far, but that's like when when I saw the table being empty. That's exactly what I thought of. The only thing that would have made it more perfect is if is if there were like an outline of the body in the table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say this. I think I could be wrong on this, but I think that Pluto may be uh, appeal combining the three great slashers of '80s horror. Okay. So he's he's a kid with a burn face, right? Makes you think right. of Freddy. Right. He's wearing a red jumpsuit. Uh, the jumpsuit there, like um, Michael Myers' favorite, uh, you know, choice for for his wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And then he every time he goes into attack mode, he's got a mask on, which I'm assuming is a reference to Jason. And so I think Pluto is the hybridization of Michael, Freddy, and Jason. Okay. You think it's got any water? Yeah. Hold on. I I honestly do. Can I – do you want to hear my far-fetched theory or do you want me to save it till later? Uh, You know your theory better than me and how it relates. So, man, I'm I'm happy to hear any thoughts you have at any time. Okay. So go with me on this. Um, I watching the movie again yesterday put this thought into my head. So uh, let me me try to sell you on it. Not only do I think that – you know, obviously we know that Red – was the real Adelaide and Adelaide was the real red. I think that Pluto and Jason swapped. Dude, that's one of my major questions. Okay. Um, okay. We'll, we've got a, let's we, put a pin in the thing. Yeah. Okay. The, we'll come back to that. So yeah. the, we have covered all of my, you know, my uh, speculative Easter eggs. Are there any that you noticed that I didn't get to? Um, let me think, man. Um, well, you know, I, I love the fact that the the movie uses I've got five on it so much, because if you think about it, it's it's about somebody splitting a dime bag. So it's essentially about somebody halving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a dime bag. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of what else. Well, while you're thinking about it, let's talk about music for just a minute. OK. Oh, well, hey, I, I've got one more. OK. Um the obviously not only was Jaws referenced by the shirt that Jason wore, but did you not feel a little bit that way during the Gabe Abraham scene? Oh, when like, he gets pulled off the Abraham, boat? Yeah, especially when Abraham pops up out of the water the way he did. Yes. Also, I was thinking this one too when they say, "Is this gonna? Are we gonna be able to fit? You know, is everyone gonna be able to fit? Like that would have been the perfect time for we need a bigger boat." Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Um, the the scene where Jason has disappeared when he went to the bathroom mm-hmm. and uh, Lapita's characters, uh, Addie is the only one who knows what's going on. I really felt like she channeled Brody, um, you know, when he's scanning the beach for their son. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't think that you could that you could allude to something so hard as this movie did with, with basically incidentals. Yeah. Uh, I, I never saw Jaws really listed as a. 
uh, you know, an influence or something that, that was going to inform this movie. But man, uh, it, it came through loud and clear to me. Uh, also with, uh, with Winston being bagged up on the boat as, uh, Abraham or whatever is taking him out in the waters. That was clearly from, uh, from funny games, right? The way they got rid of. Uh, oh of yeah. Life. Yeah. Good call. Uh, so yeah, I also, I also felt major Dexter vibes on that. <laughs> yes. Thank you for mentioning Dexter. It's, it's soon going to be time for me to rewatch that. Yeah. Well, just watch the first four seasons and just be done with it. <laughs> Stop when John Lithgow leaves. Yeah, dude. I, I tell people that all the time. Uh, like, as a matter of fact, somebody messaged me last week and said, hey, I know you you watch a bunch of horror stuff. Uh, I've never seen Dexter before. Should I watch it? And I said, absolutely. But stop on season four. I just let that be your series finale. Don't go back to it. And uh, they haven't gotten back to me yet on it. So we'll see what happens. OK. All right. Well, so to, to the earlier uh, point about music, uh, Peel was – Peel was incredibly skilled in the way he used music in Get Out. But I feel now, looking back on it, that Get Out was the seed form of what he did in uh, in, in Us. One, the just the theme for this um, for this film, I think, kind of belongs with like Halloween's music and the sound mm-hmm. for Friday the Thirteenth. I think we'll always associate. Uh, that with this movie, the first time we hear it, and I think it'll go down as one of the great themes for horror movies coming uh, in, in, in coming years, basically. Sure. Um, so uh, just a couple details on that. When when the, uh, the, the main family has come over to their friend's house seeking relief, and it turns out that Elizabeth Moss and, and Hedeker's characters have been attacked, they're coming up, and NWA's F the Poli starts playing. Dude. Uh, there's so much going on there that I, again, it's just peeling onions. Uh, my understanding of that song, which I listened to a lot in high school, but I haven't listened to as often in recent days, is that the first line is, you know, basically F the police. And then uh, Ice Cube says, I'm coming straight from the underground. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, can you confirm or deny? I can confirm. <laughs> just such a good choice, man. And I thought there was an, you know, I know this movie is not about race in the way that Get Out was. Right. But it's a common trope that when uh, I say trope, it seems to be the lived reality. I'm not trying to to downplay that, but you know, it, it's kind of a, a common conclusion in the in the African American community that that when you call the cops, they don't come to help, right? Yeah. And you have that scene playing out after the the white family has called the cops and the cops didn't show up to to help them out. Yeah, that was the biggest takeaway that I had from that was they called the cops once. And they said, oh, it'll be 15 minutes, 14 minutes, whatever. And then they tried to call the cops twice. And neither time did they show up. And I was like, I know we're not trying to get political. I know we're not trying to get racial, but you can't tell me that wasn't a, <laughs> that wasn't a shot. Right. Uh, speaking of shots, uh, are you familiar with, uh, I think it's Hamlet character, Ophelia? Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, the, the Alexa device was named Ophelia. Mm-hmm. And I can't figure out how that name would attach to, like, Jordan saying something about electronic home assistance. So here's my theory on that. I think it's a reference to the Lumineers song, Ophelia, being basically the widest piece of music that's come out in the last two decades. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I can see that. 
I really do. Like until somebody moves me off that theory, that's why that device was named Ophelia. Okay. Trying to think about other stuff in the movie connected to music because I know Peel does so much. I'm assuming that rewatches will reveal more. Okay, so you've got NWA, F the Police. Uh, I'm picking up Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Why are you going to do the Beach Boys like that, Jordan? (laughs) Well, so do you know like the backstory behind Good Vibrations? Uh, no, I don't think I do. Okay, so Brian Wilson said that uh, he wrote this about his mother, who said that dogs could pick up bad vibrations from people if they barked at somebody. It was because they were picking up by bad vibrations. And mm. so I was thinking, okay, so dogs bark, they pick up bad vibrations. Pluto literally makes animal noises. Sure. And, skip, yeah, he runs around on all fours like, a, like an animal. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. All right. Well, we'll put. Oh, uh, and also, also, all those all those people are from California. That's true. That's so, true. I mean, you're really doing like a California-based playlist. <laughs> it's like Jordan Peele put it together and put it on Spotify. That's a, that's a degree of difficulty thing, right? Like, not only am I going to use music with skill and precision, but I'm just going to add an extra challenge. It's like writing a haiku. I'm going to add the extra challenge of only using uh, coastal California artists. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess let's get into theories then, man. I've got some questions I'd like to. So, I'd, I'd like to do theories, uh, connections to previous films, and then some lingering questions. Does that sound okay. like a cool roadmap yeah. for you? Yeah, sounds good. All right. So, lay those theories on me, buddy. Uh, well, I mean, the the biggest theory that I have is is the one where I think that Jason and Pluto got switched. Somewhere, um, I, here's my theory. So they said something about like Jason has been the same over the last couple of years, or maybe even last summer or something. And that last summer he tried to like almost burn the house down, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm thinking maybe somewhere along the line, like there was a fire that got started, and Jason is what you know the the real kid. He he was burned. Some somewhere along the line they switched them. You know, Pluto came up to the real world. Uh, Red had taught him how to speak. You know, he's he's just as off as Adelaide is. Hmm. Right. Well, that that's interesting. So one of the things I, I wasn't up on, doing. I'm just playing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Go ahead. Well, validate this question or, or answer it. When she when Adelaide and Jason are in the car and she tell they're listening to five on it and she says, mm-hmm. get get on beat. Mm hmm. I'm afflicted with white man's disease. <laughs> but to my yeah. eyes, she was not on beat while she, she was snapping. She wasn't. Okay. Okay. But now Jason did seem to get on her rhythm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, time, time loosens up. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but. No, 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 no. You're fine. That and, seems and, to be and, a contributing point. And so that goes to a whole nother thing where, uh, yeah, I noticed that in, in the trailer, you know, because that's in the trailer, you know, she's like, hey, get on beat. And it's boom, boom, boom. And I was like, okay, I know that's not a bad take, but mm-hmm. she was not on beat in that. So something's up. And honestly, <laughs> that was one of the things where it started to make me think like, oh, she's not who she th- she's not who she appears to be. Yeah, um, because Lapita Nyong'o seems like I mean, well, Adelaide seems like the kind of person, especially as a dancer, who would know beats and how to get on beat. And uh, so that kind of, excuse me, that kind of put it into the water. But anyway, so 
I'm thinking, you know, there's somewhere along the line that happened because, look, Pluto never got angry. Like, the only time he got angry was when Homeboy couldn't get the trick to work right. And I'm thinking, well, of course, if if I know how something works and I'm watching somebody fuddle around with it and can't get it to go, I get aggravated. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he was very affectionate with the mother. He All he wanted to do was play. Like, even when they're – when it looks like he's setting up an elaborate trap for them at um, – you know, towards the end of the movie on the on the boardwalk, he still has all the time in the world, you know, for him to, to light the match and drop it. But he's just he seems like he's just playing around with him. Plus, he was snapping on beach. Do you see that? Yeah. Like he, OK. Oh, so, wow. Dude, I think you're on to something here for sure, because so this is one of the questions I had later on. You know, uh, Jason controls Pluto in such a way that he kills him. Right. And at the beginning of the movie, we're told that the tethered were created so that, you know, it's the two bodies, one soul thing that people underground can control the people above ground. Mm-hmm. And the only time we really see that play out is when Jason backs Pluto into the fire, Yeah, which shouldn't work if Jason is the above ground dweller and right. Pluto is the below ground. Right. So that, yeah, that's a major question I have. And I think your theory is the best explanation I've heard so far. And dude, that, that was the biggest like plot hole that I could think of in this entire movie was how come Jason is the only one that can control these guys? Like no one else seems like that they have any kind of power over the other tethered people. How come Jason can control this tethered and none of the other ones could, you know, because you would think like you just do the same stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just have them fall into a pit or do something and it's all good. Or, you know, if, uh, yeah, that was just my biggest thing. And the more I started to think about it, the more I was like, okay, I just wonder. And plus at the end of the movie, he gives that look to Adelaide and, and we, we're meant to think like, Oh, homeboy knows what's up, right? Like, oh, I know you for who you really are now. But I'm wondering if he's like, huh, that's the real red. That's my real, like, that's supposed to be the person that I was underground with this whole time. But instead, they had switched just like I switched with Pluto. Well, yeah, so that, I mean, uh, it's also one of my my questions at the end. So when, um, I already mentioned it, when Pluto goes into attack mode, Mm-hmm. He pulls his mask down. And when Jason realizes that Adelaide is not the original above ground dweller, you remember what he did, right? Yeah, he put his mask down. Yeah. And so I, I didn't know how to read that. If it was either uh, what I thought was happening is he realized that Adelaide had been living behind the mask as his mom for years. Mm-hmm. And so he pulls his own mask down. Maybe also because he's weirded out by the realization and that mask kind of helps put some distance between them. Sure. But that's I think it's a better theory that it's another signal that Pluto and Jason. um, Yeah, that 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 they may be replicating red and and Adelaide's uh, switching. Yeah, it's a great theory. And plus, at the end of it, when she looks at him, you know, she's like, everything's going to go back to the way it was. I don't know, man. You just, it just seems like, yeah, there's just, there's just a lot there. There's a lot there to unpack. And obviously, you know, obviously he made this movie to ask questions, you know, he didn't make this movie to be like, well, here's everything. Here's how it's explained. Run, you know, (laughs) run out and do what you will with it. Like, this is the kind of stuff that Jordan Peele wanted to have happen is people asking these kinds of questions. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of those questions, this is a partial theory, partial question. So, um, obviously, rabbits are a major symbol in this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, something I didn't initially pick up on, but my wife pointed out, is that when we first see the rabbit cages, um, it's mostly, I think I've got this straight, it's mostly white rabbits, but the brown rabbits form the points of a triangle. Okay. With, I think, another white rabbit in the middle. And then the first time we see Zora, she has a white rabbit on her on her shirt, a mm-hmm. picture. And then the last scene we have of her, apparently the word on her shirt in Vietnamese is, or rather the, that word is the Vietnamese word for rabbit. Okay. So, I, you know, I got into like iconography and, and what does the white rabbit symbolize? So traditionally, white rabbits represent the hope of a better future and that some unseen power is working on your benefit, working for your mm-hmm. benefit. I don't know if that's what Peel's working with. Um, it seems to me that the rabbits in the tunnel are, are sort of compared to people who live underground and that they they breed rapidly um, and they're basically there for consumption because Red said that that, that was their food supply. Right. But what I – so – Clearly, the rabbit has some symbolic importance. What does Peel mean by applying it to Zora? That she's fast as a rabbit? Oh, maybe it's just a, a running thing? Could be. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. You know, you, you mentioned that um, it, it's possible that Jason got switched, and Peel has kind of hinted at, like, maybe I will build a world. Maybe I'll tell a trilogy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know what to make of it, and it could be just the illusion that that running was such a important part of her uh, her story in this movie. But again, seeing the the rabbits is like a, a symbol for living things that we use and discard and otherwise ignore mm-hmm. uh, for the for the people underground. Um, it, it seems odd that he would apply it to Zora, and I'd like to know what he was thinking about there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've read a lot of theories about the rabbits and stuff. And, uh, you know, the the biggest thing that came to my mind was when we think about like laboratory experiments and things like that, there's mice, but then there's also rabbits. Right. Sure. And it just kind of made me think of like how the U.S. has, you know, just a history of, of doing medical tests and experiments on on unwilling people, you know, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially in like the, the black population mm-hmm. and the black community and stuff like that. But even, you know, I was kind of, went, <laughs> no pun intended, I went down a rabbit trail. And did you know that Nazis uh, used to um, breed rabbits for their fur? And, no, I did not. Yeah. So Nazis bred rabbits for their fur. And, and at the Ravensbrück concentration camp, uh, some of the Nazi soldiers referred to the human experiment subjects as their rabbits. Really? Yeah. That's got to be what Peel's drawing on. Huh. I do know that the, uh, you know, one of the twins on the beach, the, mm-hmm. the white girl twins, she's wearing a black, fa- a black flag T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And I think the black flag T-shirt that came out after that one was him was uh, was someone punching Hitler. And okay. So I wouldn't be surprised if those things are all supposed to be known and tied together. Maybe yeah. maybe not. You know, we, we're certainly willing to take the, like, Peel knows all things <laughs> approach to this movie. But <laughs> right. 
uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it does seem like maybe they were tethered together. Yeah, the the details of the tethered uh, is is such an interesting concept. Do um, well, let me throw a couple just small questions at you with that uh, mechanism or that architecture of the movie. Okay, you know we constantly see Jason playing with his fire starting little gimmick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Does Pluto being burnt up mean that the one he was playing with down underground worked at some point when Jason's wasn't, and that's how he got burned? Yeah, that's, I mean, if my theory about them switching isn't right, I think that's what they're going for. Okay. Because, you know, also in the shadow speech, it talks about, like, how Adelaide had uh, Zora, and then Red had Umbre, who was a monster, right? Yeah. And then she had Jason through C-section and Red had to deliver the baby through, you know, through all this pain. And like, it just seems like that everything that's going on and on the surface world is the antithesis below. And so if Jason can't get this thing to work, then clearly Pluto, like, got it to work one time, got too close to it and it burned half his face off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, speaking of those tethered, so... I saw this on social media or just one of the countless links I've read. I don't know who to give credit to, but I I thought, oh, man, I didn't get that. So the guy with Jeremiah 1111 on his head, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jason sees him standing on the beach dripping blood with his arms out while he goes Mm -hmm. to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And wherever I saw this, uh, the person pointed out that he was the first successful uh, tethered to kill his duplicate. Yeah. And had went out to the beach to start the chain. Yeah, to start the hands across America. Yeah, I I did not think of that one on my own, but when I saw it, I thought, man, that is incredible. Yeah, um, it was cool because I originally thought it was Elizabeth Moss's character. Oh, really? Yeah, just like with the hair slicked back and stuff. I was like, oh, that because <clears throat> they never really show the guy's face until they go back and like they're already doing the hands across America thing, right? Like he's out there, then you see his face, but the first time you see him. I don't know, just the hair slicked back and stuff. And I was, and, and then when Elizabeth Moss's character came out and, um, you know, once they kill, uh, Josh and Kitty, I was like, Oh, that must've been Elizabeth Moss to begin with. That's a weird, that'd be a weird thing to like start with. And then re on the rewatch, I went, Oh no, of course that's the dude with eleven eleven on his head who had killed the doppelganger, that, you know, we see get loaded in the ambulance minutes before. Derek, you moron. You should have put that together quicker. And since we're on this, and I'm, I guess now at this point my thoughts are a little bit more scattered. The um, the plan for the tethered was to go kill their duplicate, then file their way over to the line and hold hands, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was so many of them in the line already is that it's not just – uh, I'm going to say Santa Monica. It's not just Santa Cruz that has had everybody killed. It's that this uprising has been incredibly successful, so successful that the line is stretching like through the Rockies. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully some some of these people were away to like Paris or something. So they're not, you know, they didn't get killed. <laughs> well, so if we can hop now with some theories and questions and whatnot, that that was one of my questions. So it's um it doesn't seem like a tight world in the sense that like there's just enough tunnels underground where people can you know the experience above ground and, and below ground can be replicated both places. Mm-hmm. So like 
the people who are on uh, the Himalaya ride, they just kind of stand in a circle in a big enough room to replicate it. We see some other people. I'm like, you know, their duplicates are riding a roller coaster, so they're standing together and right. you know, whatnot. I do wonder what happens when an American above ground flies overseas. You yeah. have any thoughts on that, or is that just Jordan be like, don't overthink this? I think that's what it is. I, you know, I, I think that that. Yeah, I think I think ultimately that's what it is. It's like, hey, just enjoy this. You you know, I mean, ask questions, but don't like, don't get too into it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, man. As uh, you know, another passion of ours is professional wrestling, and as wrestling fans, I feel that we do that a lot too. Like, we ask those questions that sometimes don't need to be asked. It's just like, hey, just shut up and enjoy the ride. And yeah. I think that's kind of where where they're at too. And, and who knows, man, you know, there's a lot of things that are left unanswered right now that Jordan may try to clear up in the director commentary on the Blu-ray, or they may just always be open-ended questions. I don't know. Or the next movie that comes out may deal with the tethered in other parts of the world, but I, mean, I doubt it, you know, cause it just seemed like it was an American, an American project. So maybe, <laughs> maybe when uh, that person gets on an airplane, that person runs as fast as they can until they hit the brick wall. That's on like the coast. And they just sit there until the guy comes back. Mayhap, mayhap. So I'm happy to say that like, feels like, look, man, this is, this is not something that can be a, uh, a guide map to an alternative world. There's just going right. to be some squishiness. But did you notice that when Adelaide told um, – what's her husband's name? I've forgotten. Gabe. Gabe. You know, there's that scene in the living room where she wants to go, and he's like, no, let's hold out here. And she tells him, you're not in control anymore. Mm-hmm. She really wanted them to go to Mexico. And I wondered if that was her knowing, as someone who had grown up underground or at least spent years underground, mm-hmm. that – these tunnels aren't available in Mexico, so we'll be safe there because there won't be any people coming up to kill the population. That's that's what I thought. Um, that was my my ultimate thing. Like that's that's the the reason he put that in there was to be like this is just a central thing. And again, you know, there's a lot of talk about like us stands for not only like us but also the U.S. And, you know, there's there the beginning thing was that there's thousands of miles of tunnels um, down below the the uh, the surface of America. You know, it's not the earth like it was very specific. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I thought that as well, like, oh, she knows like homegirl knows. And that's another like, hey, blinking, you know, red light going off, going like, hey, she's not who she's supposed to be. Um. In that, and I think that was kind of his way of like dismissing maybe those questions that are being asked. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Hey, can I point out something really quick that oh, I haven't had a chance to yet? Um, did you notice? I mean, of course, we've been talking about the duality of man, but it seems like everybody in this movie wants to be somebody else. Oh, Gabe, man. That's so sure with Gabe. Yeah. Gabe wants to be Josh, uh, Kitty wants to be an actress. Adelaide wishes you were a dancer. Um, you know, the the tethered wish they were the surface dwellers. I mean, and, and it's so much like, it seems like everyone died with things that you wouldn't find in a normal home, like an upper middle class home. Yeah. You know, like the boats or the golf club or the fancy art or 
the fireplace poker, you know, things like that. Like I just, I noticed those kinds of things. Uh, I mean, obviously besides the scissors, you know, that goes without saying, but like Gabe kills, Gabe kills Abraham and Josh on a boat, which by the way, <laughs> did you see that Josh's boat's name was the B Yacht? <laughs> I did, man. I thought they, I mean, Peel's an incredible rider. I just thought, man, he has perfectly captured like D bag, uh, white folk. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I laughed till I cried after seeing that. And I think I was the only person that noticed it in my theater. Of course, I was the only person under, like, 40 in my theater. So, mm, yeah. That had a lot to do with it, too. And probably the only person of any kind of mixed race <laughs> that was in there, too. So that was fun. But uh, it, it just, you know, there's such a duality. And obviously, I mean, that's what he's going for. But it just, you know, that was the thing that I picked up on so much is like everybody in this thing. And even like to Zora. Zora is apparently a track star. She doesn't want to be a track star anymore. She's supposed to be a regular teenage girl. Mm-hmm. She wants to learn how to drive, stuff like that. Jason, obviously with the mask, he doesn't feel comfortable being himself either. Um, so just, uh, just amazing like little nuances that – I just I love Jordan Peele for so much. One hundred percent. Let me ask you another question. So when Red and Adelaide swap places, how does the former Adelaide, who's now Red, how does she learn the history of the underground that she tells to Adelaide when she has her in the in the living room later? Because nobody underground talks. Mm-hmm. So, like, how did she figure out that people had come along and created these tethered and X, Y, Z? Huh. Uh, man, that's a really good question. Maybe, you know, they they don't speak English, but maybe those groans and moans and things like that are their own language. Gotcha. And it, I mean, there does seem to be some kind of communication where uh, – Abraham and uh, Umbra's, you know, when they're out both hunting. Yeah. Like they're barking through the woods at each other. Yeah. But do you know what? I thought that that was uh, Josh's doppelganger talking to Abraham. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Because then later when he like when he's hunting Gabe, Josh's doppelganger's hunting Gabe, he makes those same kind of screeches. And almost in the same kind of tone and voice. And I was like, oh, man, maybe that was who he was communicating to. And again, that would make sense because Josh and Gabe are quote unquote buddies. So wouldn't Abraham and Josh's doppelganger also be buddies? They would have certainly spent a lot of time together, right? Right. Yeah. Good call. But clearly they can communicate in some fashion anyway. Yeah, there's some kind of ling- there's some kind of language you know going on there. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean, you know, that there's nothing and I thought, too, it may just be a deal where, like, if Peel wants to keep playing this world out, maybe at, uh, whoever created the Tethered, maybe they left behind records. And as a product of the up, uh, above ground world, Red knows what to make of those strange characters that we call writing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point, too. There could be some, you know, some files or something that they don't know about or, you know, that wasn't seen in the movie or was cut for time or, you know, Lord knows what's going on. All right. Well, then, I guess really what I got left are questions. Any any theories or points of detail you want to highlight before we wrap that up? Um, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? No, man, not really. Not off the top of my head. I can't think of anything else. 
Um, I mean, besides like, I do want it to be known for the record that I texted you an hour before I came, I went to the movie and told you how it was going to end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is probably my biggest disappointment with this movie. Yeah. So I, I do have some weaknesses here and some criticisms. I don't think this is a perfect film, although it's an incredibly good film. Yeah. And I just felt like the twist ending was so telegraphed that you almost shouldn't have the twist ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, you you know, I, I can't remember if you said you read a review that or something that hinted at it, but. Well, I read a review that started with the beginning of the movie, how she goes into the house of mirrors and sees a reflection. And then it says, fast forward to the present day. And I stopped reading the, the review because I was afraid of any kind of spoilers. Yeah. Um, and then I started thinking about it and I, and again, went back to the, you know, snapping off beat and stuff. And I was, and then we had already watched the sixth sense that week before. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh, okay. So homegirl, they switched, like they pulled the old Simpsons trick where evil Bart is in the, is, you know, the Bart that we've known and the person that's supposed to be evil is actually the good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well that, I mean, pretty much what you had your experience with that review is what it's like to watch it in the movie because, we see that the doppelgangers encounter each other and we see Adelaide's eyes go wide, but it doesn't show us what happens. And you just can't help but go, well, I think I know what I'm supposed to assume happened here, but it didn't show me that. Yeah. And then as, as Adelaide is becoming more violent, she starts grunting and howling mm-hmm. like the, the tethered do. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like he's just got you by the nose, pulling you along um, to, to the ultimate reveal. And I don't know. I, I just, I'm sure it didn't land for everybody. Cause actually in my theater, uh, one of the funniest things, it was a pretty full house for a Thursday night. Oh, good. And when, um, when Adelaide is choking red to death, mm-hmm. somebody up front said, yeah, choke that blank out. <laughs> oh, and I realize now that person didn't see it coming, right? She thought that red really was, uh, yeah. just all bad and, and yeah. hadn't been victimized. But again, I just felt like, man, Jordan, you are really like, this isn't a breadcrumb trail. This is like neon arrows spray painted on the road. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that it doesn't, it clearly doesn't ruin the movie for me. I think this is a five-star movie, but uh, I, I just wish he could, I wish he'd have been more subtle with that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I do too. There were several different things. Like when she says, I have this dark cloud hanging over my head and I don't feel like myself when I'm here, mm-hmm. that kind of pointed me in the right direction. When she said, when she said, I don't, or when she said, I'm not good at talking or yeah. somewhere in that length, I was like, huh? Okay. Uh, and there was just like several times in the movie where I, where I just would get smiles on my where I'd get a smile on my face. I'd be like, "Oh, I called that big time." <laughs> well, you know, in terms of telegraphing it, like on the um, the fun house where all this stuff takes place, it literally says on the front of the building, "Find yourself." Yeah, and I, I don't know, just some of that stuff. If you took away like three of those details, I feel like that would have caught me more by surprise. Yeah, but it, it just seems like repeatedly he's like, "Hey, look at this! Look at this! Look at this!" Okay. Let's let's put it into context, though. You and I watch stuff like this all the time. 
Well, and for you your, have a mutant ability to know it's coming from miles I away. Yeah. I do. That's true. For the average person, I would like to, you know, I'm, I've been thinking about, um, and, and I may down the line because I don't want to do it right now because I don't want to spoil anything, but I would love to put it on like social media and be like, who saw this coming? Mm-hmm. And just get a vote to see if people saw it coming because it's easy for me and you to be like, oh, yeah, I saw that coming a mile away. But not everyone watches not everyone's obsessed with horror like you and I are. And so I just wonder if like your average, you know, person that was like, Hey, get out was a really good movie. I'm going to go watch this one was like, Holy, I wish I'd have seen that coming. Yeah, maybe, maybe that could be, and maybe they're having the experience that we talked about on our sixth sense episode where, or at least that I had, where I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize he's dead. You know? Right. Uh, And that could be, I'd, I'd love to hear from our listeners if that's the case. Yeah. Well, I think even um, – didn't we get a DM from one of our listeners and she said she didn't see it coming? Yeah, yeah. I guess I had forgotten that detail. So, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And and that listener, uh, uh, the person who DM'd us, is a very thoughtful connoisseur of horror movies. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as obvious as I'm thinking it is. I, I'll tell you what nailed it down for me, though, man. When she – and it's one of the best, like, comedic parts of the movie when – when Adelaide goes after Red for kidnapping Jason, which, um, by the way, that probably is a point for your Jason and, and Pluto were switched theory um, that she's now that her son, now that Pluto's dead, she's taking the original model back. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she goes to to get Jason back, she takes off at a dead sprint to the to the fun house. Mm-hmm. And that stupid owl comes out and she just whacks it to death. Yeah. But she never hesitates. She goes straight to the hidden door. Yeah, she knows, man. She yeah. knows. Um, so at that yeah. point, at that point, do we think she has fully remembered? Because I guess that's my big theory: is that uh, when when the underground dweller made their made her way up and swapped, mm-hmm. just over the course of growing up, she for, kind of forgot the details on this. I don't think she did, Jeff. I don't think, think she, she knew the whole time. I think she knew the whole time. See, I, I saw it as like a growing. A growing awareness. Yeah. I, I Again, I think it's trying to be somebody that you're not. I think mm-hmm. that's the whole thing of the movie. She, again, you know, things are going to go back to the way they were before. Um, I, I just, I, I, in, in like those little smiles in the, in with the little girl, like when she's dancing and she has that smile or she's in the back seat of the car and she has that evil grin on her face. Like, I just think she's, she's known the entire time and she has acclimated herself to being one of us so well that no one else gets it. And, mm-hmm. and when she laughs after she kills red, when she laughs, I was like, Oh, she's known forever. So she's just completed the project yeah. that she began and, and probably should have wrapped up back then. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can't argue. Like I said, I, I sort of saw it as something growing. Like she she gets close to the scene of the crime and has anxiety and then can feel what's her name approaching, red approaching and becomes more like the tethered when she's involved in violence and then yeah. has a full epiphany. But you could be totally right. And I assume reason. you are. <laughs> well, I, I mean, and, and again, that's the greatness of this movie, right? Everyone's going to have a theory. Everyone's going to be talking about it. And and no, I mean, and Jordan Peele's not going to come out and be like, yeah, you're right. And this guy's wrong, right? Like, 
I feel Unless like he makes another movie and gives some of these details, which I'm I'm quite happy to find that I'm wrong if he'll give me another movie. Yeah, and likewise. I mean, I'm I'm completely the same way. I just feel like that he likes leaving things open ended this way for the discussion to happen. But um, yeah, dude, I, I just feel like that she she masked it the entire time, and when when she when she the reason that she gets so scared is because she's like, I don't want her telling people my secret. And one of the theories that, that I've read online, actually um, a listener, uh, the actually the same listener uh, that we talked to after we'd both seen the movie, she said she didn't see the, the twist coming. She and I have been DM, DMing this morning. She says she read a theory online that when Red whispers to Adelaide, she's whispering to Adelaide, I told Jason everything. He knows the oh, truth. Oh, man, and, that's a great theory. Right, and we're talking about Tony, right? I mean, I don't know why yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I led us down Tony this Tony. this path of not naming her. Hey, Tony, uh, it's awesome to talk to you. Thanks for being such a great uh, part of our community. Uh, that's an incredible theory. Yeah. And so that would be the alternative to your idea that they were switched, right? Right. That that red um, poisoned the whale right. for Adelaide. You know? Yeah. And that's um, a great theory. Yeah, and and dude, that final scene, like that final showdown between the two of them, is one of the most hauntingly beautiful things I've ever seen. So again, in praise of Lupita, man, I, I read early on that she'd studied ballet mm-hmm. for this role, and I was like, what does that have to do with the price of chicken in China? And to watch her do ballet to avoid uh, Adelaide, I just Herself. <laughs> yeah, incredible, man. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, Don't you wish so you'd have kept dancing? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And just and just the way that Red holds herself like a dancer through this whole movie. The second time I watched this movie, I didn't pick up on it the first time, but the second time I watched this movie, just the way she's so graceful and every move that she makes is um, means something and it's poignant. And I, I was just I was in awe, especially the second time around when she enters the house and you know she's got the scissors. And, you know, in her hands and stuff, but she still moves like she's a dancer. Mm-hmm. You know, she never stopped. Uh, it's uh, so good. It is really incredible. And um, that and that's and that final uh, the final thing that made me realize is that uh, Adelaide was red and red was Adelaide was when red red looks at Adelaide and says and just and to think if it hadn't been for you, I'd have never danced at all. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. I'd, I'd forgotten that line entirely. Huh. Yeah, because because her dancing is what makes people realize, oh, this girl's special. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, in in uh, in a in a moment of poignancy, reflecting on the movie uh, again, you know, I told you I was laying on my pillow trying to go to bed that night and just thinking back through it. I, I hadn't at this point when the invasion happens. I hadn't nailed down for sure that Adelaide and Red had switched. Mm-hmm. But I was suspicious. But I remember when Red comes in the house, well, before she comes in the house, she drops down and picks up the hide key Yeah. Which I'd initially thought that was just muscle memory, right? Yeah. That like her tethered had done it, so or her up, uh, whatever you'd call them, her duplicate had done it above ground so much that she needed to do it when she got up there. Right. But now I realize she just re- remembered going to her grandma's house. Yeah. And then when she comes in, she comes in directly and stares up at that painting above the mantel place. And I'm like, oh, she's having a, a moment of nostalgia. And it basically just the same effect you have when you go to your grandparents' house years later. And you're, you're kind of asked to revisit the sweet things you remember from that place. Right. 
not only that, man, but that that scene has I think it might be my favorite Winston Duke line of the entire movie where he's like, a hide a key rock. What kind of white nonsense is that? Yeah, that was great. That was incredible. Uh, I don't know if it, if that's my favorite or when he goes, OK, so it's one to one to one to two. I killed two people. I killed myself and I killed Josh. And what a, I mean, what a great thing for Peel to stick in there, because that's how horror fans, you know, that's one of the ways we we think about movies. What was the kill count on this? Yeah. One? Yeah. It's great, man. Gosh, it's yeah. such a rewarding movie. Yeah. And that's why it deserves all the money in the world. I'm just so glad that this film landed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the cool things that I noticed, I, I texted you about this yesterday after I got out of the movie. One of the cool things I noticed was I kept thinking, like, why are they in red? And obviously, you know, I, I text you after I saw it the first time and said, did you notice all the red references in the movie? Because we had just watched The Sixth Sense. And so the, the imagery of red was heavy on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I started thinking, like, why, why, why were they wearing red? Why was, you know. What was the deal with that? And then I saw I watched it again yesterday and I realized that she puts that shirt hands across America, the original Adelaide, Adelaide uh, Prime proper. I don't know, whichever one um, she puts that shirt in her locker as almost a god to her. Mm-hmm. Right. Of a time of, you know, of remembrance and, and a time when things were good in her life. And and the little people on the hands across America are red. So, you know, obviously she would look at that imagery and go, "Okay, we need to we need to be in red jumpsuits to do this hands across America thing. But then also, if you look at somebody with their arms outstretched and the way that they look in that they look like a pair of scissors. Sure. And so it's just, you know, obviously you use scissors to cut things and you want to untether yourself from something you would you would cut, you know, cut it off. But just amazing imagery and wonderful symbolism. You know, and that and 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 I, I mean, I feel like that we would be doing a disservice to this movie if we don't talk about this. Um, you know, obviously, we talked about it before. Us stands for us, but it also stands for the United States. And that line, we're Americans. Mm-hmm. At first, at first, it kind of made my eyes roll. Because I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to go here. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go here with this movie or not. But the more I started thinking about it, how true it is, man. Because Hands Across America was was a obviously a failed project. Um, sure. You know, it was supposed to it was supposed to raise like fifty to a hundred million dollars. I think I read somewhere where it raised like thirty four million dollars, but only thirteen of it went to charity. The other, you know, twenty million had to go to like pay off things and. Stuff so you know it was a dud, um, and again a great a great callback or a great symmetry to um, you know Red's plan. On the grand scheme of things, it looks like it worked, but to her, it doesn't work. Right, like she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, also I was thinking like, and I guess this may be one of the things that you want to talk about: Are these people evil? Uh, yeah, I don't think in this world we can say they are. Yeah, they're just they're they're people who who have been subjected to horror, horrible things and have been taken advantage of, and they're just trying. To, <laughs> they're almost fighting for the American dream, right? They're just trying to mm-hmm. get their piece of theirs. Yeah, so I think that Adelaide's character basically makes this crystal clear. There's not. 
the problems with the people below ground are not inherent to who they are. Right. Because she became humanized. Right. When she got up to the surface world. And as a guy who really believes in the arts, I think it's significant that the arts helped humanize her, that yeah. that dancing uh, brought her to a fuller expression or realization of humanity. Mm-hmm. But what that tells me is it could happen to anybody down there if they had access to education and opportunities, right? Yeah. Yeah, and when you so, look at uh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, No, go ahead. I was just going to say, look at Gabe. Look at Gabe and Abraham. Mm-hmm. Gabe is a well-educated man. You know, he went to Howard. He is um, obviously somewhat successful in life. You know, they have a summer home. He bought a boat, things like that. But he has access to health care. He has access to things that he needs, whereas Abraham is squinty and frustrated because he can't see. Yeah. And if only he had the means to be able to see, maybe he'd be okay. Right. I think that, you know, he gets those glasses. That's the first thing he does. Yeah. And he gets to see the world, right? Yeah. You know, um, and uh, Winston Duke said, I never looked at Abraham as evil. Really? Yeah. He said, I never looked at Abraham as evil. I looked at Abraham as someone who was impoverished. That, I think that comes through loud and clear then. That, yeah. that, you know, that's confirmation. And, and, and that, that second half isn't a direct quote, but I know, you know, I mean, that uh, roundabout way, that's what he was saying. Sure, sure. So I, I do think, obviously, this movie has political, I mean, that's what Peel wants to do. And we know it's not about race. And he said, I wanted to take a look at whether or not I'm the problem. Right. So I have read and I've heard the Ringers uh, podcast after uh, the movie came out. Uh, they drove this really hard, and it drove me up the wall. Oh, the the big picture. Yeah. Okay. I haven't. Is it worth listening to? I haven't listened to it yet. It it does a lot of what we're doing here. I think we're better at it. But no, no, we are definitely. It, it's. I mean, I I don't say that to be arrogant. I just think, I think we we've I treated this thing as a project for a couple months now. Right. But um, we are better. Yeah, yeah. And the Ringers should probably hire us. For sure. To run yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so one of the hosts on there. We coming for you, Bill Simmons. Sorry, I'm done. You go ahead. She, uh, one of the hosts drives that this is a criticism of capitalism. Okay. And as a, so I don't want to get super political. I don't think capitalism, particularly not the crony capitalism of our country, uh, is anything that I'm going to go to. I'm not going to defend crony capitalism. Right. But I I expect Jordan Peele to understand economics better than a podcast host on The Ringer. <laughs> and and to be able to think through simplistic criticisms uh, better than that host will. Mm-hmm. But I bring it up because I've seen it show up on discussion boards about how this movie is about capitalism, ca- uh, blah, blah, blah. The, this is one of my problems with the movie. I, I don't know how to read it. Without making the full title of the movie "Us versus Them," okay, and that it's basically uh, th- there's only one slot, and you have to fight for it through basically revolutionary means to take it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you get consigned to this underground existence um, because that's what Adelaide's story is. She found her way up over incredible difficulty, right? Because that escalator only moved down, right. Uh, she walked her way up. She seized her opportunity. But again, she had to do it uh, in such a way that she put another person in her impoverished circumstances. Mm-hmm. And while I do know we live in a world of scarce resources, I don't think of 
uh, uh, basically a human existence as such a zero sum game where only only one can win and everybody else has to lose or where one set of people wins and the other loses. I think there's a way for us to really uh, to elevate the standard of living where many more uh, can win rather than, you know, having like these 50, 50 splits that I think this movie kind of pushes us toward. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that's a problem with the ringers host kind of taking the most simplistic criticism of not even capitalism, but crony capitalism. And I don't want this movie to like drive the narrative that things can only get better for certain people by pushing others down. And it's only going to happen through basically a revolution. Yeah. Uh, I don't think either one of those things are super healthy. And uh, I don't know that Peel is trying to say that. I just don't want that to be the read that comes out of this movie. Right. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that's what Jordan's trying to say in this, but um, yeah, that's, that is kind of rock, That's rocky. If that's, you know, something that's being propagated out there. Well, and and uh, the the thing that I do know he's trying to say is, am I part of the problem? What responsibility do I hold? Right. I think that's a super excellent message for us to take a long, hard look at as a society right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, so if the negative read that, again, I think I felt pushed towards by the ringer and I, sh- I saw a show up online, if we throw that away, please let what replaces it be. Um, you know, in what ways have I benefited and how can I return that blessing to other people? If that's what comes out of this movie, well, amen, hallelujah. Let's, you know, let's keep it in theaters for a year. Sure. Any other of like political or social commentary stuff you want to get to? No, not necessarily, man. I think that's that pretty much covers it on my end. Um, I do have another question. I, I and apologize, guys. I apologize for bouncing all over the place on this one, but I'm just trying to. I think it's something I'm trying to to talk about it while it's fresh in my head. Well, we um, kind of want to empty the bag on this, right? Yeah. Again, it's been a months long project for us. It's it's I consumed mean, it's this year, so been longer than that, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what I was going to what I was going to ask you is, do you think the reason that Red speaks the way she does is because she's gone so long without human interact, well, without being, you know, without having to speak to someone? Or do you think that um, the original Red crushed her windpipe while she was choking her because, you know, she wakes up and she's like rubbing her neck? And things like that. I I wasn't for sure which one it was. You know, I don't think it has to be either or. Okay. I think that's one of the choices that Lapita is going to be praised for. She was replicating the symptoms of um, spasmodic dysphonia, I think is mm-hmm. what the condition's called. Yeah, it was what Robert F. Kennedy had. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think probably what we're supposed to read is that, yeah, something was done uh, to her throat, like damage-wise. Which is why she didn't scream and run to the stairs and yell up and, you know, all that stuff. Right. While she's underground. And um, that eventually it may have healed, but then it went into disuse. And so there there could be lasting damage and it, it was unused. So we, you know, nobody would know how to fix it, why to fix it, how to help care for it. I think it's probably both. Yeah. Probably so. I just, you know, I've been wondering what the what the general consensus on that was, because at first I thought it was just, you know, she had no one else to talk to. And so, you know, obviously, if you don't use it, you lose it. And uh, but then when I saw like she grabs her throat, you know, she grabs her neck at the end of it. So, um, you know, man, I'm sure that there's more that I've got on this, but I can't. I mean, I'm I'm kind of coming to the end of my 
my list, I think. All right. Well, we'll reserve the right to attach some more of this to a future episode. Maybe our relook at uh, Get Out. Yeah, for sure. Which we need to go ahead and put that on the Patreon uh, platform sometime this week, I guess. Because, yeah, I mean, next Monday is the <laughs> is April, April 1st. So No kidding. Kidding. Right. Talk about time flying. Well, yeah. so to kind of wrap up what we do. Uh, let's talk about the films that inspired the movie or that, that, that Peel said, you know, had a relationship to the movie. We'll do see something scary and put a rating on it. Does that sound yeah. good? Yeah, let's do it up. So we covered some of the the connections to other movies. So we, we talked about The Shining and the way that the twins were killed. Uh, we talked about funny games with Winston being in a, you know, on a boat being taken out to be executed. Um, the red image from the sixth sense and that hard twist ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just go back through them, I guess, chronologically. What do you think the, the connection was to the birds? Besides those seagulls, man, I, I, I don't know unless it was just like the eagles coming. I think it's the sense of an overwhelming invasion that you can't do anything about. Yeah. You know, the, the people, by the time we see them stretched out across the, the mountains, they have been very successful. In the same, you know, the last scene of the birds where they're driving off and like it's just every bird in the world is gathered up around. Yeah, them. yeah, that's true. Um, I think Dead Again's pretty obvious. Like one actor playing two characters, right? And they have similarities and dissimilarities. Um, so there, there's a couple. I think Martyrs is um, it, basically the idea is that there are people held underground in terrible circumstances in the name of some greater good. Yeah. Pain equals transcendence, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so the ones that I'm having more... And, and thank God that was the only thing that came out of martyrs, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And <laughs> yeah. I will now proceed to try my best to forget I ever watched that movie. Yeah. Amen. Oh, uh, two others, I think, maybe are kind of clear. You feel free to riff on this. It follows. Uh, you know, you're just being constantly tracked down by someone who does who wants to do you harm mm-hmm. uh, the Babadook by the end of that movie they have that thing safely secured in the basement and uh, in some sense they're nourishing it right so like the the tethered beneath who have these rabbits running around like they're they're not uh, under control but they're contained yeah uh, well, not, not only with that but with the Babadook I thought maybe it was even like um Adelaide's the evil, right? Because that's kind of how we feel at the end of the Babadook, right? Like her, her pain, her grief has manifested this entity. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good call. And, uh, you know, and, and so you're running from something, you're running from something through this whole movie that you think is out to get you when truth be known, you're the, you're the evil, the source of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the bad person. 100% and well done. So the, the ones that stand out to me is like, I can't really figure this out. Uh, the first is A Tale of Two Sisters, and the other is Let the Right One In. Yeah, man, I couldn't figure out Let the Right One In, um, and honestly couldn't even remember A Tale of Two Sisters. Uh, I guess Suppressed Memories? Yes, that's it. That's that got to be it. it, right? That's got to be it. That's right. Uh, the plot device of Suppressed Memories. Well yeah. done again, sir. And then maybe with the Let, let the Right One In, um, basically with Eli telling uh, – that what was that boy's name that she was grooming to be her caregiver or whatever? Uh, Oscar. Oscar. You know, he thinks she's a girl. She says, I'm not a girl. Um, you don't really know the identity of this person the way you think you did. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is also similar to the six sins with Bruce Willis's character. Yeah. Uh, that, that, I guess that's going to be my hypothesis for that connection. Yeah. Again, like Oscar doesn't realize that there's a monster that he's trying to get close to. This family doesn't realize that this, this girl was a monster before, you know, she got acclimated to the real world. Yeah. I mean, it, it could just be as simple as you falling in love with a monster. Yeah. 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 All right. I think that puts a bow on the road to, to Jordan Peele's us. Um, Derek, so here's the seminal question. Did we see something scary? I'm going to say yes. And uh, and the reason why is because I was going down uh, one of the halls of my job, and I had my earbuds in listening to music, and that I got five on it untethered, untethered mix came on. And a shudder ran down my spine thinking, like, I'm going to open a door and see myself, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, ready to pounce on me. Uh, Also, one of the things in the show is we bring some kids down and they uh, they help me out in the part of the show. And there were these two African-American girls that came down who were sisters. They weren't twins, but they were sisters. And they looked enough alike that I had to double take. And I think any movie that does that to your psychosis is scary. 100%. So, you know, Peel had said that doppelgangers scared him, and I never – I just didn't relate to that. But the aforementioned Tony said that she had a similar experience one time and that it super creeped her out. And, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I can imagine the possibility of those things would, would linger with you. Yeah. Um, I, I, another weakness of this movie for me, again, as, as somebody who loves it, a weakness of this movie is that it wasn't super scary. Yeah, I, no, yeah, yeah, I agree. I felt more like I did with Hereditary, interestingly enough, that like anything could happen at any moment. But by the end of the movie, I didn't feel like I'd really, I'd really been terrified. Okay. Um, but there are two scary scenes or sections that I just, uh, I'm, it's going to make me glad to say I saw something scary. The lesser was seeing Umbra's body wrapped around the tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought that was deeply unsettling. And then the the shadow speech in the living room. Okay. Uh, I just, at that point, you don't know what's going to happen next. There's this strange figure who's a doppelganger and speaking in this crazy voice. And the animosity is billowing off of her. And she's talking about, like, the atrocities that she's had to live through. And I, I, at that point, I was genuinely creeped out. Yeah. Uh, I would also submit that when Kenny and Josh get killed, that necessarily wasn't like a scary moment, but it was like a, oh my gosh, kind of moment. Yeah, I didn't see, see at that point, I just figured that it was only uh, the main family who had duplicates. Oh, really? Yeah, when okay. when the other ones showed up, I was like, oh man, this has gotten a lot bigger, a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, I, I, I assumed that there were more than just that, that one family, hmm. but um, it still like took me by surprise. Like I, I, I just didn't expect them to die so quickly. Oh, and it was so swift in, yeah. the, you know, how they died. Like those daughters are, are gone, like at the hands of ninjas. Yeah. And, and, and those girls playing the, the quote unquote evil twins are creepy as crap. Yeah, for sure. I mean, twins are creepy anyway, but those two were like, that was rough. It's like two Harley Quinns. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So we're definitely glad to say we saw something scary. Um, scale of one to 10, Derek. Dude, I'm going to give this a nine and a half. 
and that's off that's off two viewings of it and it's not a per, it's, it's not a perfect movie but i i don't remember a better time that i've had in the movie theater both times watching this movie mm-hmm. in a long time and uh you know i, I yeah so i I've, I've been going back and forth but i'm going to i'm going to settle with nine and a half uh, just personal preference. I just, I really enjoyed the movie and, uh, I honestly can't wait to see it again. And I mean, as soon as I can own it, I will own it. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I'm also up there with you. I'm going to come in at a nine. I think, okay. on a, you know, if this were, well, on Letterboxd, I'll end up giving this a 4.5. Um, the, I mentioned a couple of weaknesses I thought, and they're, they're just enough to shade it away from a perfect score. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I hit you with a curveball real quick? Absolutely. Better movie, Us or Get Out? Okay, so I've been debating this since watching the movie on Friday, and I honestly can't tell you right now. Um, I really enjoyed Us, but I think I need time away from it and then to go back and revisit it before I can tell you whether I think it's a better movie than Get Out or not. That's a fair point. I've been doing the same thing, and I'm going to tell you, I think Get Out is better. Okay. Uh, it may be by hair's breadth. I think, however, that Jordan Peele is a better a better movie maker in Us than he was in Get Out. Mm-hmm. Um, he went for a bigger world. It was a more challenging shoot. Uh, so I, I, I think he's clearly grown. Yeah. But the thing that swings it for me is that by this time with Get Out – I understood every – I mean, I, that, I guess that sounds arrogant. So I saw how tight the movie was mm-hmm. and how everything was explained and how everything made sense. And you weren't left with questions like, well, why can the why can the tethered move in independently if they're not uh, – if they're supposed to be controlling the people above ground and all that stuff? Sure. So there's a little bit of – I know it's not his aim – it's probably the, the the response to this, but there's just a little bit of squishiness with us. Sure. That makes me put it just slightly below Get Out, even though I acknowledge it's a bigger world and a more ambitious project. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I originally, after watching it on Friday, I said I enjoyed the movie more than Get Out. But like I said, I think I need... I think I need two or three months away from it and then just have a marathon, like a Jordan Peele day where I watch both. And then I could probably come back and tell you my, my thoughts and feelings. Well, maybe assuming, you know, we, we make it that long. We come back when the Blu-ray comes out and we say, all right, let's revisit the question. Yeah. Yeah. That might be something we can do on Patreon, you know, do a, a, a watch along or something of it. Well, it is so pleasing. I guess this is my last thought. It's so pleasing to anticipate something that has enormous hype around it mm-hmm. and see it deliver so perfectly and even exceed your expectations. Yeah. Uh, I think I've used this um, comparison before on the podcast, but when I was a kid growing up, there was this, you know, you start hearing these like rumors about LeBron James as the next great basketball player. And then ESPN started showing his games and like the hype couldn't have been higher for that guy. And then he got to the NBA and basically delivered on it. And I don't know of another time where, like, the expectations were over the moon and the fulfillment of the expectations were over, over the moon. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be my lasting, you know, impression or, or comment on uh, on us. Well done, Jordan. 
and everybody yeah, involved. Yeah, uh, suck it, sophomore slump. Jordan Peele came through and delivered big time. And hey, you know what? You know what's awesome? Next Monday, the Twilight mm-hmm. Zone premieres on CBS All Access. Yeah, in some ways, I'm almost like I feel sorry for Jordan because he's human. <laughs> yeah. These are his first two films, man. Yeah. He's going to eventually make something that's not a masterpiece. Right. Right? And people are going to be like, what happened to Jordan Peele? I'm going to be like, most people don't even get half as good uh, at anything they do their whole life as he was the first time he did it. And the Looking second at you, M. Night <sighs> No comment. But. And also, let me let me say this. I, I, sent, you, I, I sent you this. Uh, my buddy Aaron Chastain, uh, he said, he's another comic friend of mine. He said this on Facebook, and I couldn't agree more with him. Uh, us is what M. Night Shyamalan's been trying to do for the last 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I have no argument to offer. I do think Six Sense Shyamalan was really impressive, but I'm not going to say that to the detriment of Jordan Peele's work because yeah. Peele is a master, uh, clearly. Just two movies in, he's a master. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, really and truly, if, if everything he makes from here on out sucks and flops, uh, he's in the pantheon at this point, you know. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, in, in my opinion right now, Mount, Mount Rushmore, I'm giving it Nolan, Flanagan, Peel, and I don't know the fourth guy yet. But maybe Kubrick? Maybe. But, I mean, those are, you know, again, that's personal preference. But, but I, you know, I definitely know Nolan, Peel, Flanagan. Um, and I, I can't wait, man. I can't wait to see what's what's coming out the pipe next. And uh, my only hope is is that I can audition for it. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. We need to make that happen. Yeah. So uh, what did you guys think of us? And, you know, we've, we've had a lot of comments on the Facebook group. If you're not on that, you should probably hop on that right now. We saw something scary on Facebook. It's the only reason to be on Facebook anymore. So make sure and join us for that. Uh, you can follow us on all social media platforms. We're usually at Scary Podcast and then on Instagram where we saw something scary or excuse me, uh, saw something scary on Instagram. And uh, he's at Right Jeff. I'm at Derek Zoo, and I do believe that we are out of time. So well, hang on a second. What are we doing next week? At this point, I don't even know. I, okay. I, it, when does Pet Cemetery come out? The 12th, I think. Because doesn't Shazam come out next Friday? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll figure something out. Yeah. Well, Oh, dude. So I'm going to be in town next weekend. Should we double feature it? Should we do Shazam and uh, us? Wait, Shazam and us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about for the episode. No. Yes, of course we should double feature it. Absolutely, yeah. we should. That's a brilliant yeah. idea. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. I come, I come in Saturday and leave on Friday. Or <laughs> I wish I come in Saturday and leave on Tuesday. So we'll have to figure something out. Well, let's do it because that sounds awesome. All right, that's that's a game plan for sure. We will figure something out for next week, and we will let you guys know through the Facebook group. Uh, but until then, let us know what you think about the episode. Rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. We're on those now. And uh, as always, you can contribute to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash scary podcast. We'd love to have you guys come be partners with us there. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you, Jordan Peele. We are indebted to you forever for another fantastic movie. Uh, We will be back next week with another movie. And sometime this week, we will be on Patreon with our revised review of Get Out. So 
if you if you love Jordan Peele like we know you do, this is the week to get on the Patreon campaign. Jeff Wright, this is Derek Zoo reminding you to stay away from clowns and sewers, blind men with turkey basters, white people with teacups, and your own shadows with scissors. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye, man. Bye.